Yes, welcome family once again to another incredible episode of the In the Black Podcast. And this is a special episode of the In the Black Podcast, our Black Light. And of course, you guys know what time it is with the Black Light. It's our opportunity to take a deep dive into the people and conversations that deserve the deep dive, which you know I can never do this alone. Let me introduce the rest of my panel. Crush, say what's up, man. What's good, everybody? No doubt. Your mama's favorite villain. Say what's up, man. What's good, family? How y'all <laughs> feeling up in this piece? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah don't yeah, 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 me like that. You I'm not. That. I'm not going to add grease to your. I'm not going to add grease. Well, my best behavior, brother. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. I show sure you too. You know what? Don't people. Make sure you follow us across social media at In the Black PDCST on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Go ahead and check out previous episodes of our show at our website, www.intheblackpodcast.com. But if you really want to join the family, L, please tell these folks how they can do that if they want to do it. Hey, man. First off, thank you to all of our patrons. We really sincerely thank all of you guys for your continued efforts to keep the lights on in this piece. Uh, sincerely, we truly, truly thank you. If you want to become a supporter of the In the Black podcast, authentic black media, independent black media, meaning we depend on you <laughs> to, to do what we do here. <laughs> And the way to do that is to go over to our website, www.intheblackpodcast.com. Click on the right or left hand. I don't know which way you're facing or you got a wandering eye. I'm not sure. Either way, click the Become Family tab. And when you click that, there's a number of things that you can do, man. Uh, you can buy some swag. Matter of fact, the homie O got on one of the fly shirts right now from the, okay, from okay. the catalog. I mean, okay. high quality good stuff not from you know johnny and them down at the bodega good quality stuff uh, but you can, two ways that you can give us money right you can contribute to what we're building you can do it either directly through our cash app dollar sign in the black pdcst thank you when you do that in the subject line let us know who you are so we can shout you out or you can become a member of our patreon account you can become a patron and that way, there's a number of levels. There's a number of things that you can get. If you like some of the fly stuff that we do on the regular show, you have to be able to hear the off-the-cuff stuff. Uh, your mama listens. You should, too. Uh, it's a number of ways for you to do that. So head on over and join the party. We appreciate you, sincerely. No doubt. No doubt. Now, tonight, we have a very special guest that's joining us. Our guest this evening is a father a husband, a civil rights attorney, an activist, and a community leader. He's a county council member in Montgomery County in the great state of Maryland. He's written pieces for the Washington Post and The Root, and his work can be has been featured in the New York Times, the New Yorker Magazine, NBC News, and NPR. His recent book, My Seven Black Fathers, a young activist memoir of race, family, and the mentors who made him whole, is an ode to black boys and men, and as a chronicle of his life's experiences and the black men that helped forge the man that he is today. 
please help me welcome William Opeyemi Jawando. Thank you. Oh, bro, I thought you were hung up on the light skin, bro. You know, that's a major offense right there, bro. You we're going to call him Drake up in this joint, boy. Drake would have come to Jake from State Farm, too, man. Yeah, that's Jake be everywhere. Farm and progressive commercials now. Hey, man, I'm trying to be Nigerian for a second. Egbomi, Bawo, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, my brother. Bawo, I yeah. Well, I noticed the pronunciation pronunciation of of my name in the full usage. So I, I had yeah. I knew something was up, man. I yes, indeed. yes, indeed, yes, indeed, yeah. yes, indeed. Yeah, man. So we want to thank you first and foremost for being on yeah. the show and taking the opportunity to talk to us about your book. We are familiar with you, but sure. if you would please tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I mean, you, you did a great uh great introduction there, but you know, as as you as you said, you know. Uh, I'm uh, an attorney, uh, civil rights attorney. I'm an activist, father of four beautiful children, husband to my wife, Michelle, uh, who's also an attorney, uh, born and raised in Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, but uh, by way of Lagos, Nigeria on my father's side and in Hayes, Kansas on my mother's side. And uh, I'm a county council member here in Montgomery County, Maryland. It's a county of over a million people. I'm at large, which means I represent the whole county. Uh, just got won the primary for my second four-year term. Got to run it for the general in November. Uh, worked in the Obama White House and in the United States Senate for Senator Obama, Senator Sherrod Brown. Uh, worked for Nancy Pelosi, mostly on education, criminal justice, workforce issues. Um, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm an author. I wrote this book, My Seven Black Fathers, about my experience, and I look forward to getting into all of that with y'all tonight. No doubt. Now, we're going to start off, I guess, at the crux of this, this book, right? I don't want to say that it's the impetus for where you started the book, but at the very least, I guess it's the foundation. And you correct me if I'm wrong. This study that was done in this 1% study, if you can tell us a little bit about that and how that helped you to put this book together, how it forged that, that process for you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, the book is an has an introduction and seven chapters. Each one of the chapters is one of my seven black fathers. Um, but I really framed the book. And one of the things that gave me the idea about how to frame the book, uh, because I always knew that these relationships were important and impactful. Uh, but what really helped me put the context around it uh, was this, you know, just really landmark study that came out a few years ago. Uh, on race and income. Uh, it was done by researchers at Harvard and Stanford using data from the IRS and the Census Bureau. And it looked at the 20 million children in the United States that were born between 1978 and 1983. I'm in that category. And it looked at what are their characteristics of their households? You know, the things you learn from the census, one parent, two parent household. What was their income levels with the IRS data? Where did they live? Uh, level of education of the folks in the household, et cetera. And it looked at these folks and said, where are they, how are they doing 40 years later? And in 99% of the country, black boys and white boys from the same neighborhoods, and the census tract has, you know, less than a thousand people in it, or roughly from the same neighborhood, same background, same level of education, one parent, two parent household, had wide earnings gaps uh, 40 years later. And that was true in 99% of the countries, but there were these 1% zip codes, census tracts 
that I call these black boy safe zones where black boys and white boys from the same neighborhoods are doing similarly well, which is what we would want to see. Um, but they're only 1%. And, uh, but one of the distinguishing characteristics of these zip codes is that they have a larger percentage of black working class fathers in them, not necessarily fathers of the children themselves, but these men like you, like you brothers were present. And when I realized that I didn't grow up in that zip code, but my mother worked in one of them. And every day after school, I went to her job in this one of these 1% zip codes, 20910 in downtown Silver Spring. And I actually, in this zip code, encounter four of my seven black fathers. Um, and so uh, that really blew me away, but also framed, helped me frame how powerful these relationships were. No, uh, I think the, the big thing for me is someone who has always lived in predominantly poor working class, predominantly black communities. Uh, one of the, the things that we're consistently seeing is lots of single mother homes for a variety of reasons. I wanna kind of get your thoughts on some of the systemic issues that has led to uh, I won't say led to because I don't want to make it seem as if those systemic issues are the blame all by itself. But I want to be able to kind of discuss how do we address the systemic component? Because as I'm reading the book, I think it's phenomenal that you were able to have these seven fathers, these men who poured into you in ways that enriched you to lead this life where you're giving back in that capacity that you're able but that's not the story for all of us and largely the reason why that's not the story is because of systemic components whether it be mass incarceration whatever the case may be i kind of want to get your thoughts on that yeah i mean i i hope when you finish the book that that comes across because I share my thoughts on those on that question mm -hmm. in the book, um, and it's embedded throughout. You know, I'm, uh, the civil rights lawyer in me, the sociologist mm -hmm. in me, uh, the elected official council member in me. My daily job is to think about these large systemic issues mm -hmm. and how to address them, as well as individual constituent issues. Um, and I was very conscious of that in writing the book. You know, this is not a hey, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and well, not at all, and not I all, made it. Um, but there is a danger that, uh, and I think the study, you know, put lays that to waste as well, because it shows when you, all, all the things being equal, it doesn't matter. The, the only thing mm -hmm. is you still have earnings gaps, right. And one measure of success. Um, and so, you know, I want to do a couple of things. I wanted to one a attack the stereotypes and tropes about black fathers and mm -hmm. explain the definition of what fatherhood means. Right. You know, I only have one biological father. Right. You know, like so mm -hmm. when you hear when you, someone reads mm -hmm. my seven black fathers, you know, I get I've gotten all sorts of reactions to that. Yeah. Yeah. I have more than one uh, father, but I have one biological father. And so part of it was like, no, these men are present. You know, mm -hmm. they might not be as present and we might not be enabling the relationships as much as we should. or We might not be sure. having them personally. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, black male teachers in and out. Mm. They're 2% of the teaching profession. So a systemic way to uh, create more of these relationships and, and in turn help more black youth see themselves and be successful and have self-confidence and, and learn and 
Uh, and we know from data that a, a black student that has a black teacher in elementary school has better grades yeah. in middle and high school. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Black teacher. And one of my seven black fathers, spoiler, mm-hmm. like Williams, my fourth grade uh, math teacher, the only black yeah. math teacher I ever have. So part of it's to say, no, these men are present and these mm-hmm. relationships are powerful and we need to both have them individually, but also enable more of them through policy and program uh, in a you know, in a, and, and also uh, attack the things that are making those relationships harder to have, like mass incarceration, uh, you know, like low wage paying jobs, like, you know, discrimination in the criminal justice system or the housing system or, you know, go down the list. So it's a both and it's not an either or. Uh, and I, I hope I, I try to, you know, you know, ride that line in the book. And let me be clear to the folks who will be listening. Uh, when I got the book and began to read it, my initial concern was this was going to be some bootstrapping bullshit that I really didn't want to be dealing okay. with. Okay. Uh, but as I began to read that, it was clear early on that that wasn't what you were intended to do. Facts. Uh, that was not the thing that I got from the book. Uh, you didn't do that. I agree that you do have some really in-depth thoughts, some things that are not even necessarily, uh, this is the way to fix it. Like you didn't come across as a know-it-all, as someone who has all of the answers. You came across as someone who has walked the walk, is walking the walk with others, and is willing to do the work to come to find a solution. So I say that to the listeners because I know sometimes they hear these stories, man. They they be like, "Oh, we got another light skinned dude who done, you know, gonna come through with the bootstrapping type stuff." Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. kudos like to you for not doing that. I appreciate that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, one of the questions that I I, I gotta ask is, you really, at least it came across to me, as though you were burying your soul in mm. this book, right? And it was Very hard for me be- because as yeah. a as someone who came to this country from Nigeria when I was a young kid, I recognize that relationship or lack of, if you right. want to describe it, between you and your father. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's one part that, that got me. You were saying that you conflated your father's emotional distance with being Nigerian. And I think part of that, I saw that in my in my own upbringing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as you expanding it, right, it felt as though social distance not social distancing, but <laughs> yeah. a, an emotional distancing <laughs> in yeah. fatherhood is also seen as just par for the course in black fatherhood in some instances, right? Because Absolutely. not very often we don't, how often do you see, at least in my household, I'll, I'll only speak for myself. Growing up, my parents and I, we never, they weren't from my father. There wasn't really a deep connection emotionally there sure. wasn't a lot of mm-hmm. i love you and things of that nature and i think yeah, that yeah. that's a that's an issue that we as black men have Absolutely. how did you how did you break that cycle because i see we follow you across social media we've seen you i've yeah, i've seen see you out in the streets mm-hmm. we see how you are with your family right how did you break that cycle yeah you know um that's a great question and and one of the things i was ho- hoping to contribute to is the breaking of that cycle you know, with the stories of these men who are all very mm-hmm. different, whether you have your biological father or not, um, don't give up on them. Because, you know, if you read this book, the bookends of my book are my the last chapter is my biological father. And the first chapter is my stepfather. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I need my stepfather who comes into my life around eight years old because I don't have a relationship mm-hmm. with my biological mm-hmm. father and I'm yearning for it. You know, I'm at, and I'm at this point where, and I know we've all seen this, where I'm, I'm just coming out of racist education settings and mm. getting in trouble and my, you know, they want to put me on Ritalin and I'm, my father, my parents get divorced and I'm, I'm really in a place where I'm about, I'm, I'm about to kind of harden and shut down mm-hmm. and uh, and, you know, maybe get into antisocial behavior and go all, all those things. And Joseph enters my life, my stepfather, Joseph Jacob, and is the first black man to kind of layer on, you know, this love and attention in a really practical and personal way. And it's overwhelming to me at first. Uh, and mm-hmm. I kind of chafe against it. Um, and, but that is what starts to help bring me back. Then I get Mr. Williams and, and, and then it, it's a little more, <laughs> and I get Jay Fletcher, my mother's yeah. co-worker. And, you know, so it kind of starts to compound. And that's part of the, one of the stories of the book is that, you know, all of these relationships, they came right at the right time. And, and even if the first person didn't get to me, you know, maybe yeah, the yeah. third would have, you know, and, and so, I think that the, the love and care and attention and intentionality of these men is what pulled me back and, and gave me the, the tools. You know, I am a composite father of, of, the, of them and many others. I'm, I'm doing what was done for me with yeah. the lives of my children. Mm. Um, but I do have to, I do have to wonder, I do have to wonder amongst, amongst those men, uh, amongst all the positive influence, was there ever a situation amongst them where you witnessed a rather negative outcome from their from their example and learn from that in some way oh absolutely absolutely I, you know I, any, not all of them you know could be perfect yeah yeah oh no 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 and none of them are perfect and none of, you right. know and that, that's a point of the book too is that you don't have to be right like you know the beauty of the study and the beauty of my story and, and all the stories that are happening across countries that we're not perfect that's not the expectation and I think that actually discourages a lot of people from being fathers, from being mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fear that they have to yeah. be perfect, or they don't have enough time, or they don't have enough to offer. Yeah. Uh, people who have internalized what the world has said about us as black men, as the people who are most belittled and belied and dehumanized on the face of this planet, uh, uh, is particularly for the last 500 years, that uh, seeps in. And so yeah, absolutely. And there, with anyone you have a deep connection with, there's going to be positive, what I call positive lessons or negative lessons. You know, there's things that, and I talk about it in the case of, you know, I'll stick with Joseph Jacob, my stepfather. Mm-hmm. You know, he has this kind of uh, respectability politics, uh, <laughs> white is white kind of thing that <sighs> I just don't agree with. I don't, I don't like, uh, but I, I saw it first in him and over time grew to identify it. And I, I saw that that was something I did not want to be, but that doesn't change all the great things he gave me, you know? No, and, not uh, at all. So, so yeah, there's a, I think there's a lot of those in, in every, each of the men I could go through and talk about okay. positive and negative things that were lessons and important. Then those are just as important as well. Do you think that the distance that your father showed pulled you closer to your Nigerian heritage? Because I've seen you yeah. 
where you're about to go do your your was it the inauguration? Yeah, How long swearing in, yeah, you're yeah. swearing in? Yeah. So did that did that pull you closer to say, okay, well, I can't get this cultural balance from him. I need to seek it out for myself. Is that something that happened or? Yeah, I you know I think so. I think it was it was all in it's it was all entangled and is all entangled. You know, like am I that part of my heritage was wrapped up in him and he and and I wanted to be close to him and I wanted to know about my heritage. And so he was the access point, but I couldn't get to him. And so I think when I meet, you know, when I meet Dean and then when my grandmother dies, which I talk about in the book, his mother, mm-hmm. I had this kind of idea that she would one day fix it all. Right. You know, whether yeah. I had articulated that for myself or yeah. not. Yeah. And I never, that never got to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I think I did put a lot in, you know, that that could help fix me or help make me whole, which is, you know, the subtitle of the book. Right. You know, and uh, so I think I did kind of go hard on, you know, particularly when after I take my first trip to Nigeria to uh, dive into that part of my culture and heritage. Um, and, uh, you know, that's but now, you know, and I think now I've I've got a as with all things, you get a, a balance, right? You know, I embrace being, you know, when I come back from Nigeria, I change my name to just Opeyemi Jawando, right? I, I'm like, don't call me boy anymore, right? I go to the registrar's office and change it. But, you know, now I'm like, you can call me Will, you can call me Yemi, you can call me, you know, you can call me whatever. It, that's all me. And I'm, I'm more mm. at peace with that. But yeah, I definitely did early on wrap a lot of my uh, identity and my lack of connection to my dad and trying to pursue my Nigerian heritage for sure. I think another question, two parts, and this may be, I don't know if it's controversial is necessarily the word for it, but I think a lot of people may read this book, learn about your background and ask how you were able to exude your blackness in a household with a white mom, right? Finding that balance between the two. Right. So how would you if someone asked you that, how would you explain that? Well, you know, you know, I tell, you know, because I work for Barack Obama and, and people are always quick to make comparisons. And there are some, you know, we both yeah, have yeah. white moms from Kansas. We have African fathers. We both married, you know, strong black brown skinned women named Michelle. Um, and, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, But, you know, where we differ and what was you know, really important to answer your question is I grew up in black and brown communities and um, I didn't grow up in Hawaii or Indonesia. Like I, I needed to be, I was perceived black by the community and um, I, there was pressure socially to be black. Cause you know, we all want to fit in Yeah, and, yeah. And no matter where we are. And you know, the, that's why the first line about my book is is about basketball and meet my friend Calfani, you know, who's mm-hmm. uh, and so basketball, uh, you know, uh, you know, the clothes, hip hop, you know, go go music here in, in our area, all these things, my Nigerian culture later, they're all, you know, I, I knew that if I was going to just make it, I needed to be what people thought I was. Right. And that was black. And, and that's what I grew up around. Hmm. And so my mom was almost the anomaly, you know, like hmm. she was, you know, she was there. 
and she was giving me she was the constant giving me love and affection. Sure. As a mom. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but I, I knew from a very young age that I, I was black. I might not have thought I wasn't black enough, but <laughs> but I was I knew that's what I needed to be. And that's what I was, you know. No, I find that I don't have a question per se, but I think that's fascinating. And one of the things of being in predominantly black and brown spaces, how those spaces ooze blackness and will spill out onto things that may not be as, and you become such a thing, even unintentionally. So when I'm reading it and I hear you, you know, you quoting Biggie in the book and you quoting, you know, bringing Talking about different go-go things. music and all that. Like, well, I was going to skip over the go-go. Listen, I was skipping over the go-go, bro. Listen, okay. Skipping <laughs> over that. I was going to mention we don't, we, we don't typically talk to people from the area, so when we get one, we're oh, right. just excited. When, that when someone from Philly comes over, area. we'll let you talk cheesesteaks when they come over. But I'm sorry. <laughs> And John's, whatever John's, and John's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you did say that, right? I appreciate that. You got another, another in the right column. Don't add to his foolishness, please. Don't add to his foolishness. No, but I was just just saying that I think that's a phenomenal thing on uh, the way blackness works and the way it's almost vacuum esque. That if you're around it, it will suck you in and you will become a part of it. So I find that incredibly fascinating. I think one of the things I work in, I work in education. I work at a, at a local high school, uh, and it is probably one of the most troubling but rewarding jobs because it's the it's very reminiscent of society outside of school, right? You have most of the administrators are white, whether it be white males or white females, and most of the so-called disciplinarians are black. It's 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 a rough place to navigate. If you had an opportunity, and I'm sure this is something that you do, uh, but for our listeners, 14-year-old Nysir is coming up to you and wants to have you pour into him what would be some of the the words of advice and wisdom that you would give young brother nicer today yeah i would you know i talk to young men and women all the time and and the first thing i say is like i was you Mm. you know um you are not uh i know you see me here in this suit you see me as a council member, you see me, whatever, whatever you perceive of me, mm-hmm. I was you at 14. I was trying to, I was caring about sports. I was caring mm-hmm. about girls. I was caring. I didn't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting into fights. I, you know, whatever you're doing, I was thinking about doing or doing. Mm-hmm. And I need you to know that because I think the the one of the biggest challenges for our young people is that they don't see mm-hmm the path or, or where they could be, you know, uh, you know, outside of a very limited range sometimes. Sure. You know? And so I, I usually start with that. And then I just try to, you know, I, particularly this first time meeting, you know, I don't, I try to just connect and, you know, with something that these young people care about, like, you know, if mm. he's, if he's a football guy or basketball guy, or if he's a gamer, or if he's, you know, talk about shoes or, I, you know, I just try to connect because I think uh, in, if you connect authentically and 
demonstrate that you care and are intentional with the time that you spend, no matter how long it is, 30 seconds or, you know, mm -hmm. hours that will will eventually break through. It might not break through in the first conversation, um, but, you know, and, and then I'll offer my assistance and I'll offer to to to, you know, whatever you want to do. You know, what are the things you care about? I want to help mm -hmm. you with those goals. Um, and and that and that's kind of how I usually ended it. Usually some form of those three things, you know, and it can vary be variations because I just think a lot of times our young people have a limited scope and view. They mm -hmm. internalized messages about themselves, whether they know it or not. And uh, they don't have a lot of people that are taking that kind of time and intentional time with them. Um, so I, I think those are some of the the main ingredients and in, in born out of the relationships I had, uh, you know, and I describe some of them in the book. Yeah, that's yeah, dope. Yeah. That's dope. One of the challenge. Let me ask you this. What were the, the one of the biggest challenges while writing the book? I really cannot understate, I think, the level of genuity that you put in the book, even talking about your father's mm. battle with clinical depression. What were the was was being so open a challenge, or were there other challenges, or was that one of many challenges? Yeah, it's hard writing a book, man. I um, I'll just tell <laughs> you that. I, I, I think the least. adage is true: everyone has a book in them, but not everyone will write it, and and because it's it's hard. Um, and I don't think I would have done it. I would have been as successful in doing it, or as quick in doing it, if but for the pandemic. Um, hmm. Because it was really, you know, it was it was in some ways therapeutic, in, in many ways therapeutic. You know, you think about what we all went through this last three years, mm. you know, the health pandemic mm. disproportionately impacted our community. Um, you know, the financial fallout, you know, at one point during the pandemic, 40 percent of black businesses had disappeared nationwide. Um, and then you think about uh having to deal with the worldwide protests as resulting from, you know, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, mm -hmm. all that was happening during this time while I was writing this book. And I, I really needed to write something affirmative about like, well, what can we do in the midst of this sea of inequity uh, around mm -hmm. us affirmatively, you know, to improve the life outcomes for our people and for, for us. And so it helped me through that time specifically but it also helped me process, you know, my dad passed in 2017 and I, and I, you know, it's been five years. I think about him every day mm. um, and he died at 64, you know, which is m more than some, but not long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I, it helped me deal with process all those emotions and relationships and, you know, reconnect with some of these men, right? You know, the crazy thing is some of these guys, there's five of the seven are alive. I hadn't talked to them in 20 years, you know, so I interviewed mm. him the book. Uh, and so it was a real cathartic process uh, just along the way. Uh, and something I think, I'm, you know, I'm still unpacking. The book only came out in May. So yeah. it's uh, something I'm still kind of going through. You think you'll write another one? I think so. If if, if the Lord gives me uh, a number of years, I'm not going to do it anytime soon, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but at some, at some point, you know, uh, I went on Tavis Smiley's show. He has a radio show out in L.A. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he said, you did something really smart. He said, you wrote your memoir while you were young when you could remember stuff. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, you can, you can write multiple. And he was like, you know, like, because you're going to do other things. 
Yeah. Because this book, this book isn't about my professional career at all. It's just about, yeah. you know, growing up and who I, how I became. So, yeah, I, I hope I hope there's I think there's more to do. Now, we want to make sure that we give everybody their flowers. So I'm going to make sure to ask this question, because if I didn't, my wife would give me a hard time. How did your wife help yeah. you to process and put this book together? Because I know oh. I know she had to be the cornerstone. Because oh yeah, that's, that's right. this ain't Scor- happening. Scored on points, bro. Scored on points. Get them. She yeah, this yeah. doesn't happen if you don't give her the green light. So score them up. The, she's the editor, the supporter, the you know idea bouncer, author. You know, like she was everything, man. And and she obviously features prominently in the book mm-hmm. uh, our story about how we met and get together and. Um, you know, it's, uh, she's just my biggest supporter and advocate and these men, you know, she, she got to, she knew many of them, um, because of when she met me and she was intimately involved in the reconnection and of my, me and my father, uh, which we taught, which I describe in the book. And, uh, you know, he lived with us and she allowed that to happen. So she was just, she's just so connected to all parts of it. And, and there's many women, you know, to kind of undergirding your question. I talk about my mom, who was a constant and is a constant presence. Uh, there's other women in this book that, you know, that gave me opportunities like Lorraine Miller, who gives me my first job on Capitol Hill. And um, I think there's a universal message here. Uh, while this is a book about a black boy and man uh, getting love and support from his black fathers, there are so many others that contributed to me as well and contribute to me. And, and so it's really a universal message of about mentorship, about fatherhood, motherhood, aunties, uncles. I think these are universally applied principles, but I do think it's important to talk about how this transformational and powerful these, when we engage with each other as black men, you know, this, this talk is representative of that, how unique, how powerful it is and how much it, confronts some of these stereotypes and tropes that are out there about who we are and, and what, what we're able to do. Mm. All right, Crush, ask some local joints, man. You, you, <laughs> you sitting back. Go, come on. We, like I, He's like, I watching the show, man. He's just watching the yeah, show. I'm like, yeah. I we, just, yeah. no, we're, we're, we're guys from the area, so I think Crush was bubbling. He said, I got to. <laughs> oh, well, I mean. Where? Prince George's? Gorgeous Prince George's? Yes, sir. I'm, yes, sir. We've lived in both. We've both we've lived in both. I'm in uh, Prince George's in Laurel now, and he's in uh, in Beltsville. So. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. the book. When you read the book, man, there's a good bit of it in Beltsville. Listen, <laughs> when you're when you're mentioning all these places in Silver Spring, was like, yeah, I yeah, know. This, yeah. this guy, Spring, he's from yeah, the yeah. area. He really, he is genuinely a guy from the area. We appreciated that part. Go ahead, so, Crush. Well, you know, um, you know, my uh, my life's surrounded by educators, and. Uh, I had to wonder um, because uh, you know you're, I noticed that big a big part of your focus is education, yeah. And um, you know the uh, and you mentioned several different kinds of fallouts earlier also, but I believe there's also what uh, some instructors I know and, uh, and principals I know are dealing with an educational fallout mm. um, from the pandemic, where uh, testing has been uh, delayed or uh, scores have been going down. Um, some of the, you know, as much as students are going, returning to back to a sense of normalcy, um, there's definitely a noticeable gap in, yeah. um, in achievement going on. And so I have to wonder, you know, uh, you know, what, you know, what if, do you have a vision for the educational system in Montgomery County 
And, you know, what do you think of the new superintendent, uh, Bernard Bragan Jr.? Um, yeah, our superintendent is Monifa McKnight. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm that's out. all right. But, but, but she is new, but that's okay. Um, and this black woman, sister, I have a good relationship with her. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful about her leadership. Um, to answer the you know last part of your question, look, I mean, our kids and our educators, and we've I've gone through a lot. And, you know, I have kids in our public schools here, you know, and everyone's just happy to be back to some sense of normalcy. It used to be learning again and having back to school. You know, it's the first time I've had back to school night in like three years. Mm, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and it was great. So I think that's a good thing. But like you said, there's been a lot of harm done. You know, I think about my, my youngest daughter, Ava, who's in the third grade. You know, she started kindergarten and then in the March of that year, they shut down and she didn't go back to school for a year. And then, yeah. then, when, they did, then when they did turn it back on, she was online, you know, and right. now she's, she's in third grade and is not can't read that and write that well because, you know, what? Yeah, the gap. Yeah. And that's yeah. A, and she's in a home with supportive parents and people who are trying mm-hmm. to help her. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. So there's just. This is going to be something we're dealing with for generations. Uh, this, oh, man. And, you know, we've made some record investments in our school system. We added $200 million to the budget this year, which uh, which is significant oh, to hire, you know, hire social workers and psychologists and pay our teachers more and you know, pay, pay for tutoring and other, and, you know, other things. But we're going to need to be doubling and tripling down on that year after year because this, you know, it, it's it's going to have it's we don't even know all the effects of this period. Yeah. You know about that. So I, so I think it, it, there were gaps before everything's been exacerbated and in a lot of ways it was shown, you know, some of the, the holes, but hopefully out of tragedy, we can really Some's make the investments that we need to. And that's what I'm focused on. <laughs> My apologies again for the wrong superintendent. Now, so given what you just said, it sounds as though that's a very progressive notion, doubling yeah. and tripling down on education of all things. How crazy is that to put yeah, that know, right? <laughs> but, Imagine that. Yeah. I know, right? But, but there's some folks that would hear that message and think that you're nuts. Right. How do you, I guess, stand strong in the with your progressive messaging and ideals at a time right now where a lot of people want to push that want to attach that progressive <laughs> messaging or the title progressive to being far out there, nuts, yeah, someone not yeah. attached to reality. You know, it's a constant challenge, brother. You know, but I, I think what I try to do is use data in context uh, in real life stories, you know. Uh, and, you know, I believe that eventually truth wins and, and, and justice wins. Uh, but you just gotta, you gotta keep, keep pushing it. And, you know, we live in a time now where, um, you know, everything, things are rapidly changing, right. You know, in Montgomery County, when I was born 40 years ago, you know, our school system was 85% white, right. Uh, Today it's, it's today it's 75% people of color, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's totally, switched in a gener in just you know my lifetime and a couple of generations yeah yeah that yeah, type of change is hard for people to grasp 
And it's, I think it's a microcosm of what's happening in America, right? You know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then when you have people that stoke, you have the history that we have and you have people that stoke the flames of division, like we've had over the last several years, you know, previous president and some of these crazy folks out here now attacking, uh, it, it creates a culture where, you know, it makes it difficult to move forward. But I, I try to stick to like, look, I want everyone to do well. Um, and when everyone does do well, we, we really all do better when we do better. You know, when you when you lift up uh, folks who are struggling, that creates more economic opportunity for us. It reduces crime. There's a whole bunch of positives for you, too. And I try to focus on both sides of that, the individual and the collective. Um, and I think, you know, I live in a place where I think most people get that, at least theoretically. It's really when you dig down to the details about what that means and what mm-hmm. we have to to represent that goal. That's where it gets difficult because, you know, human beings do not like change. Human <laughs> beings are selfish by nature. They want to keep what they have. And so you're always working against those. Uh, and then you layer on, you know, systemic and structural racism and, and all, all the all that. And, and, you, and you've got a, a brew that can be difficult. And education represents all of those things. I do wonder, um, is there a way, how, how do you think there's a way to make the teaching profession more appealing right yeah. now in 2022 yeah. going to 2023? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, certainly pay is part of it. It's not the only thing. You know, I know right. we've got a couple of folks that work in education on this call. Um, but I think it's respect is, is what I would say, you know, it's allowing teachers the autonomy and the time to plan their, you know, to be professionals. Um, you know, I hold people accountable, but give people the time and space to achieve results and, uh, whether it be planning time or enough staffing, the appropriate levels of supports and paraeducators and the like. Um, you know, and then obviously compensation, right? You know, like I think there's a a mix of those things that, you know, if we can put them together holistically, that will improve the profession, draw more new people into it. You know, one of the reasons you don't have a lot of black male educators because we're trying to like make money and push back pop generational poverty. So you know, there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of things that we need to be doing to, you know, professionalize and have a higher level of respect for the profession. And I think, you know, compensation is one of them. But I think the autonomy and the respect and the support is, is are, are really important. Yeah, I, uh, I know a gym teacher in PG County who hasn't had a gym in over eight years. Yeah, that's just. This is not acceptable. This is not acceptable. Black male teacher, too. Yeah. Yeah. Brother Gerardo, typically what we do is allow you an opportunity, our guests an opportunity, so we, as we depart, to give words of wisdom. Now, earlier, you did tell us what you would tell little Nasir, 14-year-old Nasir, how you would pour into him. That's all well and good. But a majority of our listeners are (laughs) in our age range, let's say from 20 on up, right? What would you tell, or what words of 20. wisdom would you? Yeah, I mean, that's I don't really, know. twenty year old is you, you, You'd be surprised, my guy. But anyway, so what words of wisdom would you give a young man 
in his 20s or so that is facing some of these dilemmas that we've talked about yeah. and is really at a loss because he's he's looking at people like you that seem like they have it all together right and he's already been through those quote-unquote formative years so what words of advice would you have yeah yeah i mean i would say well first none of us have it all together we're all we're all trying to make it towards wholeness and you know if one of the ways the reasons i was intentional about designing the book where I, I did you know these are the men who helped make me whole i'm still on that journey uh you know i meet mr williams when i'm nine years old at fourth grade uh, my only my first black man and only black male teacher but i meet barack obama when i'm 25 uh and i still needed that fathering and it was different things that i needed but i needed it and i still need it um and i but i also have the ability to to give that to people now too to my own children to others and i think i would just say that it's never too late uh to receive and give love um and and to improve who you are and to become more uh to deal with your trauma to deal with your past and have and not have it affect you as much as it once did or learn to grow from it or don't get angry about things you got angry about before and use that as a springboard for a new opportunity i would say that you you have something to give um we all do you have value uh you have something to give someone else and you have you are worthy of receiving love and intentionality and connection from others and when we do it with each other a small little bit goes a long way and uh i would say that to the young the 20 year old the 30 year old or the 40 year old about because i think as we get older too even in the group in our age range sometimes it becomes harder to have real brothers and and that is to our detriment Mm -hmm. Um, and so i think that's a a space i'm hoping that this can open up some of that as well fantastic brother jawando abromi i appreciate you thank you for taking the time please tell our listeners our viewers where they can find you on social media what the next event is what you've got going on i appreciate it man and uh, I'm at at Will Jawando. Uh, it's just my name, uh, at Will Jawando on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and willjawando.com is my website. Uh, I uh, will be doing an event in Silver Spring on October 13th um, with Congressman Jamie Raskin. We'll be d- interviewing each other about our books, actually, at Montgomery College in Tacoma Park. Uh, that's my next kind of big event, but uh, hope you check out the book. I uh, hope you'll uh, enjoy it and, and leave a comment, give it to someone as a friend and, and really just appreciate you brothers for having this space and, and having me on. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Crush, where can folks find you if they want to find you, man? As usual on Instagram at SP Methods. L, I, uh, it's dangerous, but where can people find you if they want to find you? <laughs> at Elgin Bailey on Twitter and Instagram. No doubt. And I'm Big O, Mr. In the Black himself. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at MR underscore In the Black. And I want to thank you guys once again for joining us for another incredible episode of the In the Black podcast. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to kick it with us and we appreciate it. Make sure you follow us across social media at In the Black PDCST on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Come on over to our Patreon and join the family. You will not regret it. But until next time, as always, informed, intelligent, in the In the Black. Peace. Odaro.
This is, this is the In the Black Podcast. In the Black, bro. Hands down, one of the best podcasts I ever heard, though. I like y'all. what up? I read a black coffee, Bretchen. Listen, in the black podcast, like your lad, it's all facts. You don't like that, the fault fact. In the black podcast, don't talk trash. Switch fast if you ain't raw, then you're whack. It's intelligent elements, always relevant. Not for the weak and delicate. This is eloquent excellence. We are setting the precedence. Rest in them, my excrement. In the black podcast, the truth like the testament. Don't know, black up he bro, man a specialist. No what the podcast broadcast, y'all mess with this. Like said they my cheat, who no dweed so effortless. I listen them, I learn, man, them listen them, I benefit. Reporting current event, everything that is prevalent. This is so exquisite, the scientific experiment. Giving you the news, not views without evidence. Telling you the truth, sentiments without embellishments. Relax, these are the facts, bringing them to your residence. In your house or your tenement, listen to hear intelligence. Body filled with melanin power that's so ascending bright in the stars bringing some light back to the desolate in the black podcast that your land is all facts you don't like that the fuck back in the black podcast they fucked up who looks like watch black up here chat me young flop in the black podcast that your land is all facts you don't like that the fuck back in the black podcast we all lost the whole of them can none of them can come true like that though. <laughs> 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 <